If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. I'd like to ask you this morning as I read this passage of scripture, if you would just close your eyes and keep them closed and let God's word wash over you. The word of the Lord comes from Lamentations 3, verses 1 through 33. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and I cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow, and he drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one would wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love For he does not afflict from the heart or grieve the children of men. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. 
You can open your eyes now. Church family, this has been an incredibly difficult week for us. As Ryan mentioned, one of our own, a 16-year-old young man from our youth group passed away unexpectedly. Yesterday, we held a celebration of his life. And now we're charged to move forward despite our grief and our sorrow, to, to be about our calling to build Christ's kingdom and to see the gospel go forth. But how? How do we possibly do that? And I have to confess, I struggled this week to write this message. I knew that God wanted me to impart to you this truth, that that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. But I found myself conflicted between my heart and my head. And frankly, as we ministered to this grieving family and we prepared for the funeral, I was full of questions and doubts. And the truth is, I was, I was angry with God. As you're the head of this church, Jesus. This is on you. That our last three funerals have been kids. How am I supposed to get into that pulpit and point everyone to you when things like this keep happening in your church? Well, God has been very patient with me this week. I think it has something to do with what it says in Isaiah 53. It says that Jesus is a man of sorrows, that he is acquainted with grief. And so after I kind of threw my little fit, he began to remind me of deep truths that he has shown me before that he has taught me in the past and that he keeps ever before me as I continue to journey through life in this broken world. So this message this morning is going to be a a little bit different because this moment is a little bit different. Uh, I'm just going to share with you kind of my own process for finding hope in the midst of difficult times. It begins with this. We must remember that God is in control. The last bit of that passage I read, it says, though he cause grief. What sobering words to find in the revealed will of God, to find in his scripture, that God himself might be the source of our grief. You know, we had a, a hurricane this past week, and it, it brought to mind a, <clears throat> something that happened when Hurricane Katrina uh, came through years ago. At that time, some, some you know, so-called Christians were making a lot of noise about how Katrina was God's punishment against the city of New Orleans for all of their sin. And I remember I was watching the news and one of the newscasters, they brought Franklin Graham 
on their show to talk about it. Franklin Graham is the son of Billy Graham. And they asked him about this, and he gave a good answer. He rightly expressed his belief that God was not raining fire and brimstone down on New Orleans. But then he went on to say something more. He said, God has nothing to do with the hurricane. He said that God was in all the people who were reacting to the hurricane. God is in all the people who were there to help and and lend aid. But that God had nothing to do with the evil that was that storm. Now, I think that Franklin is a good man and he has a good heart. And I think I understood where he's coming from. But he was wrong to say that. You see, when, when tragedy strikes, when we see evil in the world taking its toll, and the world suddenly wants us to ask, they want to ask us that age-old question, right? Where is your God now? How can a loving God allow this to happen? And when this happens, we, as Christians, we are tempted to apologize for the sovereignty of Almighty God. We don't want God to get the blame for the evil of the world, but the problem with that is that God himself takes responsibility in Scripture. In the book of Amos, uh, chapter 3, it says, Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? See, we serve a sovereign God. And this is why when things are not going right in the world, we can lift up our complaints to him, our laments. If God is sovereign, that means that he is in absolute control of all that comes to pass. So when we experience good things in our lives, he gets the glory. But that's the easy part. When we experience difficult things in our lives, even evil things, God still gets the glory. And this is where we struggle. But God doesn't hide the fact that he is sovereign over even bad things. Because when disaster comes to a city, it doesn't happen unless the Lord has done it. Now, this doesn't mean that God was punishing Tampa last week. But it does mean that God is in control, even in the midst of that tragedy, and he doesn't expect us to pretend otherwise. He doesn't apologize for it, and neither does he feel the need to explain himself to us, other than to remind us of his steadfast love and faithfulness. See, we want to believe that God doesn't have any part in evil, but if we take that position, we're creating for ourselves an ineffectual God, a God who was caught off guard by a hurricane and he was unable to stop it. What good would such a God be in helping us to overcome the power of sin and death in our lives? No, our God can calm the storm simply by telling it, Be quiet. Our God can open the heavens and flood the entire earth. Our God can part 
the Red Sea. Our God can make the blind man see. Our God can make the lame man walk. And our God can bring the dead back to life. That is the God we serve. We do not serve an ineffectual God. God is not the author of evil. He's not responsible for it in that way. But he is in sovereign control of evil. And so there's still some mystery here. It is an age-old question. If God can stop evil from occurring, why does he allow so much misery and evil in the world? How can a loving God sit back and let the things that happened last week happen? The answer is as simple as it is unsatisfying. God could wipe evil from the face of this planet. In fact, he very nearly did once when he flooded the entire earth, sparing only Noah and his family. But it was because of God's love for Noah that he didn't wipe evil out completely. And it is because of God's deep love for us, for his people, that he continues to patiently withhold his righteous wrath until that day of judgment that Ryan preached about last week. But while God patiently withholds his righteous wrath, we are left to live in a broken world. And this means that from time to time, we are going to grieve. But we must remember that it's good to grieve. We read in Lamentations 3, 25 and 26, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that God inspired a prophet, we think maybe Jeremiah, to write an entire book full of lamentations? It's a collection of five poems, each expressing tremendous grief over the fall of Jerusalem. And it is only at the end of the third poem, which we read just now, it's only at that brief moment in which we are reminded that we can find hope in the faithfulness of God. When I consider this book of Lamentations, in my mind, I picture myself in the midst of all of my sorrows and all of my complaints that are surrounding me. But when I look to the side, I see that God is right there with me. He is present with me in the very middle of it. Laments are not uncommon in Scripture. We, we see them, like, re, spend some time in the book of Psalms. You're, you're going to see many examples of laments. I believe that these are put there uh, as examples. They're given to us as a gift from a God who is acquainted with grief. And what they do is they demonstrate how we might properly express ourselves as we experience sorrow and tribulation. I think about that word, acquainted. 
to be familiar with, to know, maybe even be friendly with. See, I think in our culture, we're not very well acquainted with grief. Sure, we see him sometimes, but we always cross the street when we do. If we hear he might be at a party, we suddenly have something else to do. We might follow him on Instagram, but his friend request is still pending in Facebook. We want to believe that if we make the right choices, or if we choose the right friends, or if we go to the right church, or if we elect the right leaders, or if we support the right causes, or if we say the right things, or if we treat others the way that we want to be treated, we want to believe that then we can create for ourselves a world that is without grief. We think we can create a better world than God created for us. But it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God gave us this book of lamentations and really the whole of scripture to remind us of this, that we live in a broken world and we ourselves are broken. Every moment of every day we live in this reality and it should grieve our hearts. Things are not the way they were designed to be. There is pain and there is suffering and there is death and there is loss. And we should not be comfortable with this. And lamentation is how we express this to God. And we should not be thinking that we can provide the solution. We need to remember that salvation is of the Lord. So I want to point out just three things about how we wait quietly for the Lord's salvation. First, we acknowledge the reality of our grief. The, the author of the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, he gives this list of, of the many uh, biblical heroes of the faith. He says that these all died in faith, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then in verse 16, he writes this. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This country, this world that we live in, it's not right. There are blessings all around us, yes, and maybe as Americans, maybe we have more than most. And yet, this world is broken. It is lesser than what God intended for us in the garden. And it is far, far lesser than what God has planned for us in the future. In this new city that he is preparing for us. Did you know that's why we call ourselves New City Church? To remind ourselves of our desire for a better country, a heavenly one that our God has prepared for us. Second, we bring to mind where our salvation comes from. As I said, we have lots of ideas about how we could create a better world and about how to fix the problems that face us. 
But there is nothing that we can do as individuals or as a society or even as the church to fix the underlying brokenness of this world. Every human being has a sin nature. Every living thing will eventually come to death. And because of this reality, there will always be misery and suffering in the world. That is, until Jesus returns. And the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John, had a vision of what this will be like. And we find this in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is the salvation of the Lord. When, when God created us in the garden, right? he dwelt with us there. That's always been his plan. And when sin entered the world, it, it brought with it death and brokenness, and we were somewhat separated from God. You see, because for a while, he is veiling his full presence with us. He's not visible to us. And though he's always with us, we struggle to be aware of it, don't we? Throughout human history, God has made his presence known to those who believe in him. In the Older Testament, he did this for a time as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then he provided his people with the tabernacle. And later he provided his people with the temple and he was known to dwell there. And then one day, Jesus came and took on human flesh and he, he dwelt with us. In fact, he was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And, and though he departed to go and sit at the right hand of the Father to prepare this new city for us, he did not abandon us, but he gave us his Holy Spirit whose presence is displayed through the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. When Christ returns, we will dwell with him again. It will be a restoration of, of our relationship to God that existed in the garden, but it will be even more glorious. For Jesus will have fully conquered death and sin will be no more. Then the world will no longer be broken and those who believe in him will live with him for all eternity in that new city. And so third, we rejoice in the knowledge of his coming salvation. Knowing that Jesus is coming again should fill us with hope. As the prophet told us when we think of the faithfulness of God, how he has never once abandoned us, 
despite our rejection of him in the garden, despite our ongoing rebelliousness and disbelief, when we bring to mind his steadfast love and faithfulness, we have hope. The apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Lamentation is good for our soul because it brings us through these three steps. We acknowledge the reality of our grief. We bring to mind the ongoing salvation of the Lord. And we find hope knowing that he is faithful, that he is good, that he can be trusted to complete our salvation upon his return. This is a reason to rejoice. Christ chose to bear our sin and endure great suffering because of his steadfast love for us. And when we experience suffering in our lives, it is, it's part of how we have union with him. And if we love him, if we believe in his steadfast love and faithfulness, and if we keep our eyes on him and his coming salvation, he will bring us to a place where we can join with King David as he wrote in Psalm 30. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Church, I hope that you find this helpful in this day of mourning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you. We do trust you. We do believe in your steadfast love and faithfulness. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would fall upon us even as we consider the heaviness and the weightiness of what we presently endure. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit would come and lead us to your hope. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.